0: So, you know god's on the job he's amazing the way he does things and then i'm just going to um digress a little bit and tell you about a burglar that broke into a house and he, he broke into this house at night and he was able to get to the, the people's personal safe and he was in the middle of you know trying to crack the safe when as he's working on it all of a sudden you notices there's just like hot breath on his neck and it, it gets to me turns around, there's this Doberman pincher like right on his back, just <sighs> 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 and he's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. This thing's going to eat me. And he's it, scared to death, and the Doberman just keeps going. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> and he's like, why hasn't it eaten me yet? Nothing, and he thinks, oh well, I guess it's not going to do anything. So he goes back to cracking the safe, but while he's cracking the safe, he hears this little voice going, there's a burglar, there's a burglar, there's a burglar, so he turns around and then He's like, what is going on? And he sees this little parrot sitting on the back of the Doberman Pinscher going, there's a burglar, there's a burglar. And he's like, what in the heck is this? And he goes, well, who cares? So he goes back to cracking the safe, but that parrot just keeps going, there's a burglar. And finally he's had enough. And he turns around and he goes, you stupid parrot, can't you say anything else? And the parrot stops and thinks to itself for a moment. And he goes, oh, sick him. So... <laughs> Don't forget to say the important things in life, okay? That's a moral story of the, the parrot. <laughs> what a way to lead, right? Let's go into Matthew 16, 13 through 18. I probably should have not told that. I should have stayed with what, all the awesome things God's doing. Matthew 16, 13 through 18 is our scripture for the day. And it reads, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples... Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you simon son of jonah for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood but by my father in heaven and i tell you that you are peter and on this rock i will build my church and the gates of hades or hell will not overcome it would you pray with me lord god take us into your word today please and instruct us and use me in the process if you will lord i thank you for my brothers and my sisters and your interaction, Holy Spirit, take us in, please. Amen and amen. So, one of Jesus' all-time great questions, uh, right after he gets into who do the people say that I am, and, and it's key here because this is so important to each one of us, is when Jesus asks this question, who do you say that I am? And each person has to answer this question. Everybody on the planet has to answer it. And by the way, not answering it is answering it, just not in a good, really good way. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he who he claimed to be? I remember, some of you might remember Josh McDowell, the, the great evangelist that would hit college campuses and go from campus to campus, and he came to my school, Chico State, Northern California, and of course, one of his, his great lines is, you have to make a decision, is Jesus a liar, a lunatic, or is he the Lord who he claims to be? Because either he's just lying all over the place, or he's just gone You know, he's a lunatic, or he really is the Lord God Almighty. And we have to come to answer these questions. And so Peter gives a fantastic answer about Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I love Jesus' response. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Now sit for just a moment and think about what Jesus said. He just said something fabulous. You see, he's saying, Peter, you didn't figure this out. It's not because you're just so smart and you connected all the dots. And you figured it out. Blessed are you because your brain is so cool. Revealed here when he says, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Revealed here is the Greek word "apokalupto," meaning to uncover. Jesus is telling Peter that Abba, God the Father, revealed this to him. It was God the Father that uncovered this in Peter's heart, in his mind, and said this to him. Remember what Jesus says in John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father himself draws them. So every one of you, the, the, the living God, Father, God, Almighty, Abba, drew you to Jesus, drew your heart, called you by name, you see, think about it. God doesn't just give us the info on how to be saved and tell you to make a decision. You understand what Jesus is talking about here? He's not saying, oh yeah, I just threw the information in front of you and if you just read it, you'd figure it out. Because how often do we think this? Why can't people just understand what Jesus is talking about? Why can't they just figure out? I mean, there's, there's so much evidence in front of us, right? I mean, just go down to the basic building block. We've talked about this before. The cell of the body just think about that. It's irreducibly complex. Cells never evolved. They had to be alive. They had to be designed to be they, the way they are. And by the way, you have trillions of them in your body. Your body is made up of trillions of cells. Uh, Diana homsey has been working with me on this, uh, and, and I thank her for it. And just think about it. You have trillions of cells, and not one of them happened by accident. Not one of them just evolved. Every single cell that lives was designed by God, and God had to breathe it into existence. I mean, that alone, we sit there and go, wow. So it, nothing happened by accident. It's God Almighty. And so Jesus gets into, no one can come to me unless Father who sent me draws them. And, and in Peter's case, he's saying, Father God revealed this to you. Think about that, brothers and sisters. How often... Father God actually speaks to your heart and speaks to your mind. Uh, Sometimes he speaks, and we we have messages come across to us, and sometimes we don't get it. I mean, sometimes he talks about, you know, Bigfoot. (laughs) Have you ever wondered how often God sits there and goes, oh, I'm going to give Jonathan an image? This is going to be really cool. He's going to struggle with this one. It's going to be fun. He's going to be like, what, God? What's that all about? And that's exactly what God wants. He wants you to go, what's this all about? I mean, when you talk about how Father God reveals things to us, I had this young guy. I was teaching high school Bible decades ago in a Christian high school in Southern California. And I had this young guy named Chris in my class. He's a freshman. And sometimes I'd just eat my lunch out in the quad area. And one time Chris was sitting with me, and he goes, Mr. Pittman, can I have lunch with you? I said, sure, and we're having our lunch. He goes, can I ask you a... a, Can I tell you about something? Can I ask you about it? I go, sure, Chris, what's going on? He said, I had a dream. I said, okay, tell me the dream. Now, here's the thing. As I've told you before, I don't regularly interpret dreams. If you share dreams with me, most of the time I go, huh, that's interesting. No idea. It's just not my gifting to interpret. But two or three times it's worked. Okay, God's used me. Try this one. Ready? This is the dream that Chris had. Chris said, okay, Mr. Webb, I had this dream, and then the dream, I died. And all of a sudden, I appear in front of a table, and there's this guy sitting behind the table, and he opens a book and says, your name's not in here, and I drop into darkness. All right, work it over a little bit. <laughs> I'm sitting like, God, you are so cool. I, like, have to use zero interpretation at all. I looked, I looked at him, and I said, hey, Chris, um, let me ask you a question. He goes, like, yeah, because I really want to know what this means. I said, I use EE with him. I said, Chris, if... Uh, you died right now. Why would God let you in heaven? He goes, well, um, I've been an altar boy at my church. I go, yeah, that's really cool, but okay, no. Anything else? He goes, well, I've been to catechism a few times. I go, okay, we're going downhill. So, <laughs> Chris, I said, Chris, here's the deal. God showed you right now what happens to you if you died right now. Oh, I don't want that to happen. You do it's like to drop into darkness, which, what does Jesus talk about? What happens to those who die? They go into the great darkness, right? Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't want to go there. I go, what do I do? I go, you want to pray and receive Jesus right now? He's like, yeah. I tell you, it's the easiest evangelism I've ever done in my whole life. I wish God like set every single one up like that. I had this dream, I died. Okay, I know this one. So, (laughs) So Father God spoke into Chris's heart and said, Chris, here's what happens. You die right now this is what happens. I tell you, God is so cool. <laughs> Drawing Chris right in. He had Chris hook, line, and sinker. I, I, and I'm not making fun. Chris gave his heart to Jesus Christ. He was, he was one of my most attentive students after that. I was teaching gospel. And, uh, I mean, we were just into some of the, the teachings on Jesus about this point in time in the class. It was fun. And so Jesus, again, on Peter's statement of, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, In verse 18 jesus goes on to say i tell you that you are peter and on this rock i will build my church and the gates of hades will not overcome it so the rock that jesus is speaking here we need to be clear on this one because there's it gets confusing some people think that peter is the rock peter's not his name just means little rock uh the the word here is the rock that's going on here is the statement the statement of faith that peter made that you are the you are the christ you are the messiah you are the son of the living god you are the promised one you are the anointed one so awesome this is the rock that jesus is saying he'll build his church on and when we get into this word church i've got this is so cool when you start digging into the word this is Part of what I do in my office, in case you ever go by my office, one, if you ever go by my office and it looks like I'm sleeping, I'm in deep prayer, okay? So don't knock. But (laughs) it may seem like it, but, you know, if you hear snoring, it's tongues, okay? That's all it is. No, I'm kidding. I don't sleep in my office. But one of the things I love to do in there, and if you go by, you'll see all these books, I love to do word studies, it's one of the things that seminary trains you to do is how to actually get into these words. And the word for church that Jesus used here is ecclesia, and we get words like you know ecclesiastical, and some people feel like they've got to take a shower after dealing with words like that, like, oh, church is going to get all over me. But church is a really cool word, and let me take you into the meaning of this. You see, it has two root words. One is ek, which means out, and the other word that builds it is kaleo, which means to call. So the church, when you put it together, it means to call out or to call out from. Ekkaleo, which we get the word e- Ecclesia, which translates that word church for Jesus. Do you know what that makes us? It means we're the called out ones. That's what a church is. I love the building here. This is a lot of fun. It's fun to preach in here. And I have no problem if anyone says, hey, I'll meet you down at the church. I'm not going to crank. Oh, no, it's not the building. You know, I've had those discussions where people have to separate and say, oh, no, that's just a building. You know what? They're absolutely right. This is just a building. It's a wonderful building. and We can use it. And we worship God here. And we do all kinds of things. But you are the church. If this church burns down or blows up or falls into a pit or whatever happens to it, guess what? We are the church. And we continue to worship the living God. That's who we are. We are the called out ones. I always want that in the back of your head. Now, when you hear the word church, think the called out one. I am a called out one. God has called me out. Called out from where? The clue in this thing is what Jesus said. When he says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will build my church on this rock. Do you understand how much God just loves his church? know we have all kinds of people floating out there right now that are like ah i just want to follow god i don't want the church that that type of a message in the heart does not come from the living god jesus said i will build my church he loves his church and in my heart i'm I'm thinking i've been feeling this morning when i was working on the sermon got up early and i'm thinking i'm supposed to preach further on the church next week and get into revelation where the church comes down as the new the bride and we get into what is this church why does jesus love his church so much but let's get back into so jesus jesus is talking i'll build my church and and the gates of hades will not overcome it when i heard this message long ago years ago especially when i was young how do i sit there and go okay so the gates of hades what are they going to fall off their hinges and fall on the church i don't get it I mean, I was just a kid. You know, like in your junior high, a lot of things don't add up, especially for me. But, and, and some even go into different definitions here. If you read the New Living Translation, it says the powers of hell will not conquer it. That's a great shot. I don't agree with the interpretation there, but I'm not saying throw the Bible away. I mean, it's just, I mean, the ERV says the power of death will not be able to defeat my church. That, that's really good. But the Greek word here is not power or powers, which would be dunamis. If if the Greek word there was dunamis for, and the powers of hell will not defeat my church or be able to overcome it, I'd go with it. But the word, the Greek word here is pule, which means gates. So Jesus is specifically referring to the gates. Why the gates? Would you give me the picture, please, up on the screen? Now, these are gates. We, I borrowed this from a Christian website. I've actually been to this. This is, tell Dan, it's the, the uh, ruins or the leftover of of the city that was the, the center in northern Israel of, of the, the tribe of Dan. And what you're seeing here, and especially where this person is sitting, I don't know that person getting out my picture, these are actually the gates to tell Dan. When I was in Israel, it's, you know, you have one of those epiphany aha moments, you go, oh, now I get it. So that's what's going on here for me when I saw all this. And you see where she's sitting, and you see there's rocks right along the edge over there. To do business in this city you had to enter there would have been gates right here on these rocks and you had to enter into this area and that's where the elders sat have you ever read about the proverbs woman i mean she's all making it happen at home and it sounds like her husband's hanging out at the gates like with his buds and it's like what, what's the deal like he gets just hang out with everybody and the wife has to like keep the house rolling and the business rolling no that's not what's going on if she, what she's saying is her husband's honored, he's one of the elders sitting at the gates. What that means is, is that to go and do business here, you have to enter into the gates and the elders would sit there and decide if you can enter Tel Dan. If you can enter into the city and there have been gates on the other side as well. If you go to Megiddo, the city of Megiddo, which is, overlooks Armageddon, you would see a series of gates. There's like two or three gates that you have to enter. There's two sections you have to go through. And what happens is the elders decide if you can enter into the city. These are the gates. So for me, when I sit there, I go, okay, Jesus was very specific and said, the gates will not overcome the church. Why? The gates contain the leaders. And so, what Jesus is basically saying is the leaders of hell cannot stop Jesus from plundering hell and saving souls. He will enter their city freely, he will pull souls out, and they can't stop him. That's the declaration. And what's interesting is where Jesus makes this statement. Beginning of the passage, he said, it told us very clearly he's in Caesarea Philippi. Why tell us Caesarea Philippi? Why not? Oh, Jesus was just teaching. If you've ever been to Caesarea Philippi, when you get there, you can go see something. You can see the Temple of Pan. Temple of Pan is a huge, you know, cave. And inside there, they used to sacrifice animals and humans, according to history, to Pan. It's a huge demonic area. And that's where Jesus makes this statement. (laughs) You understand what he's doing is he's making a proclamation to the principalities, and the power to Satan himself saying, I will build my church on this rock and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't stop me. I will enter through the gates. The gates cannot overcome me. The gates cannot overcome my church. I will build my church. My love, my bride. And principalities and powers, Tough. You're going to have to deal with it, because you can't. This is a proclamation to the principalities and the powers. This is a proclamation to the demonic realms that Jesus is saying, I will build my church. And it's him who's building it. It's amazing, the statement that he makes. Because it's interesting, when you read the New Testament, Jesus never binds the principalities or the powers. He never, there's never a time where you're going to see a prayer where he's saying, and I take on the principalities of Israel. He never does it. But he, here, he makes a statement to them. It's here that he says, you know what? I'm going to build my church and you can't stop me. There's, you have no power to stop me. Think about these verses about how God saves people. 1 Peter 2.9. Peter writes, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a particular people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are the called out ones. You are called out of darkness into the light of God. Each of us called out of darkness into his light. Colossians 1.13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Father God is who he's referring to here. Father God has rescued each of us from the dominion of darkness. Before a person is saved, they are under the power of darkness. They are in Satan's dominion or his kingdom. John, uh, Martin Luther, um, for whom Martin Luther King is, is named for, Martin Luther used to teach that there is no no man's land out there where people just kind of float around and they're free thinkers. You're, you're under one kingdom or you're under the other. You're either in God's kingdom or you're in, under the dominion of Satan. But here it says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Before a person is saved, they were under the power of darkness. They are under Satan's dominion or kingdom. And Jesus didn't just die for you. He removed you from the dominion of Satan. He took you from that darkness and the powers and principalities at the gates of Hades. They couldn't stop him when he said, I'm going in for some more. I'm taking my people. Leading someone to Jesus, and I agree with this statement, leading someone to Jesus is one of the greatest acts of spiritual warfare you can ever engage in. And I want you to see it that way. In case you've ever wondered, why does Satan fight so hard when I'm trying to share the gospel with someone? You know, I learned how to do evangelism in San Francisco, as I've shared with some of you. I would go with Chester Owl with the Filipino church. We go into uh, BART stations, you know, the underground rail system in San Francisco, and I'd just go with him. I'd watch him try to share the gospel. We try to hand out tracts to people. You know how many people in San Francisco in a BART station are interested in hearing about Jesus? Like 0.01%. That is a dark city. It's where my family's from. My family got there in 1851. My great-grandfather was a, a Presbyterian pastor in San Francisco in the Mission District. It's a dark place. But God still rescues people there. Actually, the leader of our church uh, Rick David he was he was like a bishop over five churches we had our church in San Francisco that I was the preaching pastor and we had four churches in the Philippines Rick David moved to San Francisco from the Philippines uh, his goal he said was to make money that's what most people move to Silicon Valley for I, I want to get rich he said before he knew it there was a guy who was starting a church he said I met him on a street corner and within a half hour I'm down on my knees on a street corner in San Francisco giving my heart to Jesus Christ God radically changed my life. He fell in love with Jesus Christ. So again, leading someone to Jesus is one of the greatest acts of spiritual warfare. And why does Jesus have to do this with each of us? 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, it says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God, small g, the God of this age, referring to Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Have you ever wondered why people just can't understand the gospel, why can't they just see that God loves them? Because everyone you meet who's not in Christ has a veil over their eyes. They can't see it. We always think, well, we're empirical individuals, and I can reason, you know, I can reason this whole thing out, and I'll just present a reasoning argument to someone. They should be able to see it. That'd be great if that's just the way it works, that everyone just can use empirical evidence and figure out everything for themselves. That's just why you've got to pray for God to open doors for evangelism. We need to be a church that asks God, God, would you open up such a wide door in Virginia Beach and that we have these opportunities like Chris, people who have dreams who suddenly they need to hear. These open doors for us to share the gospel. Have you ever gone out and tried to share the gospel feel like you're beating your head against a wall? Man, nobody wants to hear about the gospel. Why? Satan has blinded their eyes. The scriptures are t- teaching us this. They can't see it. Anyone who's not in Christ has a veil over their eyes. That's what Paul's writing to you in 2 Corinthians. Now you know th- this veil. De- that's why they're dead in their sins. They can't see it. When God saves a person, God the Father draws them and reveals his Son to them. God the Holy Spirit regenerates them. What does that mean? Well, before someone gets saved, before you were saved, what happened was the Spirit of God got involved with you. And the Spirit of God began to breathe life into you. No one can can accept Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God began to breathe life into you. He began to put faith inside your heart. And then he got you ready so that when you hear about Jesus, you go, I think I'm ready to accept Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit of God's been doing. That's why in, in Reformed theology we say that regeneration comes before uh, a lot of people think it comes after. We think it comes before, that the Spirit of God is breathing life into you so you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the type of thing he does. And in, in John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, is one of my favorite statements from Jesus when he says, Spirit gives birth to spirit. The Spirit of God has to birth a spirit in you. Spirit gives birth to spirit. And all those who move with the Spirit, he gets into how the Spirit moves. We don't know which way, like the wind. We don't know which way the wind comes or goes. He, he's actually talking about the Spirit of God. We don't know how the Spirit of God's moving. I mean, it's just amazing to watch the Spirit of God move. I was at Urbana one year, you know, the great missions conference for college students put on by InterVarsity, and i remember i was up in the balcony i was watching there was the floor was filled with people and this evangelist began to pray saying lord would you move and you saw it almost looked like wind blowing through like a wheat field as people began to cry he was saying lord would you move on their hearts and you saw this it, you could almost see the, the Spirit move like wind across the floor. And where, where you saw this, people started to move and cry. And then this joy entered the room, and it kind of followed like the same path as the Spirit of God was moving through all these brothers and sisters in Christ. It's one of those things where you just kind of stand there and go, wow, that is so cool. Can you do it again? He's like, no, we do it once. But Spirit gives birth to Spirit. My heart, when I encountered this scripture and I felt like God put it on my heart to preach to you is to encourage you back to verse 18 I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it As as I've been preaching to you the gates of hell the gates of Hades cannot stop Jesus from saving us or building his church they can't and by the way they can't destroy the church either John 6, 37, Jesus said, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Do you know that sometime back in cosmic history, you were a gift from the Father to the Son? Father God gave you. He says, all whom the Father has given to me will come to me. You are not an accident. You were chosen by Father God. In case you've always thought, oh, Father God's like the tough God and Jesus. Is the... No, no, Father God is the one who said, I love you. He knew you were coming for, I mean, for a billion years. He's been planning you. You've been on his heart all this time. And somewhere, we don't know when, Jesus does not talk about it, but somewhere back in cosmic history, Father God gave you as a gift to his son. And then Jesus says in John 10, 28 through 30, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will, sn- will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Did you know that Satan cannot take you away from Jesus? Why? Jesus is saying, you're in my hands. You're in the Father's hand. And Satan cannot take away that grip. Satan cannot undo something that the Father has done. You know, so often, and I think I've mentioned this before, we always... You know, sometimes you go to conferences, you think Satan was like the most powerful thing that ever existed. He's not. It says, like, I I loved what my youth pastor said. He said, just remember one thing. Satan can only be in one place at one time. He's not omnipresent like Father God. He's not powerful like like Father God. He's not powerful like God. Everything he does is a counterfeit. Divination is a counterfeit of the prophetic. Prophetic is the real. It comes from God. Satan just wants to counterfeit. Satan is a loser. And so pray for me because I just said that and I'm probably inviting some kind of an attack by saying that. We'll find out this week. But, but if you pray for me, then I'm not worried about losing my salvation. I just don't feel like getting kicked. So this is what I want you to walk away with today. God saved you and God will keep you. God saved you and God will keep you. Jesus is building his church. And there isn't anything in hell or on earth that Satan can do about it. You can try to foul it up. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell cannot overcome it. God saved you, God loves you, and God will keep you. Please, if you're struggling with that at all, if you're feeling just even an ounce of question in your heart on that one, that's from the demonic, it's not from God. God loves you. Let me pray for you. Lord God, I ask right now that you will bless my brothers and sisters. And Lord, with this sermon, I'm asking that you protect this church. Lord, we're not afraid, but we don't feel like getting hit. So God, would you please protect Kempstville Presbyterian Church? And then Lord God, will you open a door of evangelism for us? Lord, I heard my brothers and sisters, when they heard the reports of the people accepting you as their Lord and Savior, the excitement in their hearts Lord, will you open a door for us in Virginia Beach? Will you show us how to go harvesting in Virginia Beach? How do you want us to do it? How are we supposed to do it, Lord God? Is it through healing? Is it through interpreting dreams and visions? Is it just plain old street about Would you tell us, Lord God, and we want to go do it. We want to see people come to faith in you. We want to see people walk with you. And Lord God, we want to engage with you, Lord Jesus Christ, as you build your church. We want to help. We want in on the action, Lord Jesus Christ. We want to see you move because you are so awesome and your love is so compelling. And I ask, Lord God, if there's anyone here who's, who has their eyes blind, will you remove the veil from their eyes? Will you free them, Lord God, to, to hear your love and to see you and to know how much you love them? lord god will you do this and if you're in this room and you've never given your heart to jesus christ or maybe you did and you've you've gone sideways because jesus said that he will leave the 99 behind and go seek after the one that went astray all you have to do is just give your heart back to Him. it's very simple you respond to him if you're feeling him pulling you because jesus said that the kingdom comes with violence and those who enter it enter it violently lord god would you please free their hearts and all you have to do is just go before him and pray like this say father I give you my heart back. I ask your forgiveness for the times I've, I've gone astray and I've gone after my own things. And Lord, I want you in my life. I want to follow you and I want to be with you. You're the awesome one. Lord Jesus Christ, I acknowledge that I've broken the, the laws of God. I've broken his rules and you died on the cross to pay for what I've done because when I did that, it caused death. And I, you, you took death in my place and I accept that. That I'm a sinner and I need to be saved by you. And so I give you my life. I I claim you as my Lord. And I believe that God raised you from the dead for you are the risen one. And I ask, Lord, that you will fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would fill you and that the Holy Spirit would fill all of you. The Lord God, that you would give us opportunities to see who you are pulling out of hell and that we can get in on it, Lord God. Whether it's an individual, a group, a community, whatever it is, Lord, we want in. We're yours. We want to do this with you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.